Good evening, everyone. Um, tonight's scripture reading is going to be from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. That's page 798 in the Bibles that we have in the back. If you don't have a Bible tonight, just put your hand up. Um, Andy will be happy to bring you one. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take one home with you and keep it as a gift from Cornerstone, and everybody should have a Bible in their home. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his, of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made us known to the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which we purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be, be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. That is not an easy passage to read, so nice job, Charlie. In the Greek, that's actually like one long, continuous sentence. Oh, he's acting up. It's the first week for Elijah downstairs. And if he lasts five minutes, that's a good first week. You know? Let me uh, pray for us, then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you uh, for first weeks. Thank you for uh, this, uh, this week talking about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Lord, it has some, some tricky stuff in it, a lot of encouraging stuff. Would we walk away having encountered your grace and your love? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to start today by asking you, what's one of the best gifts you've ever received? Like, what's the best gift? Maybe the best or one of the best gifts you've received. And maybe, maybe some of you are turning to your husband or your wife and you're saying, oh, it's you. It's you. Uh, that's sweet. Uh, but you had to work for that gift, right? Like, you had to... to present yourself well, you had to like smell good, you had to, you know, be attractive, you know, go on dates. That really wasn't a gift, like you worked for that. I, I want you to think of a gift you received that someone gave you, like pure materialism here. So just think of something that you like, maybe it was a trip, maybe it was a thing. I wanted to uh, show you one of the, my, my, the favorite gifts I received in my childhood. It's this thing, Legos, Fort Lego Redo, Fort Lego Redo. I, I received this, I don't really know, like between my 7th and 11th birthday, I have no idea which year it was. I could probably figure it out if I 
if I looked back through. But when I got this, I was really excited. You can, you can imagine why. Like, you got the soldiers, you got the fort, you got robbers. What else do you need? Uh, this set probably cost my parents about $60. I'm, I'm assuming. I, I didn't ask. Uh, and you can buy it online, like used, I think, for about 62 But it, it also ranges as high as $952. So I don't know what the difference is between a 62 and a 950 but maybe one day I will sell my set for $952 online. Now, I still have this set. I, I still have the box. I have all the pieces because uh, when I would finish playing with it, uh, I would take it apart, and I would put the pieces in individually marked Ziploc bags like other normal children. <laughs> uh, and so maybe one day I will let Elijah play with this set <laughs> when I see him putting his pieces away in Ziploc bags. And then I will say, son, you're ready, and we will play together with Fort Lego Redo. I really just wanted to talk about this gift for a while. Uh, it's a great gift. Now, some of you like receiving gifts. Maybe some of you like giving gifts. And we can always remember those really special ones. Uh, today, we're going to encounter a gift that's really special and that's really memorable in the Scriptures. It's something that we want to hold on to. It's something that we want to keep. We don't want to sell it. We don't want to give it away. We don't want to, to, to mix it up with other things so that we don't Remember it. We want to focus today on the gospel, on grace. See, grace is a gift. It's, it's like this, this undeserved favor of God given to us. And Paul starts our passage today in verse 3, so he's still really in the introduction of his letter. He introduces a lot of themes that he then talks about further throughout this book. We're going to focus on a couple of the, the big ones. But Paul introduces this idea of a blessing, which is a gift, which is grace. So verse 3, if you look down at your Bibles, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So here we encounter in verse 3 God's gifts, God's grace, God's blessings. And Paul's kind of giving us a header. Hey, hey, something's coming up that's, that's a gift. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to you. And yet when we read this passage, if you grew up in the church or maybe you went to Bible school or you've, I don't know, listened to theologians or read theology books, you know that this passage can be a passage that becomes uh, very challenging, very controversial. Because the first gift isn't always interpreted as a gift. And so I want us to talk about it. Let's just look at the gifts and, and see what we encounter. And this is the first gift. It's this, that we are chosen by the Father. Now, my, my three gifts are points. Uh, they're adapted from Richard Koken's Ephesians for You. So it's a great book if you want a, a book to kind of go along with our series, Ephesians for You. But I want to read verses 4 through 6. So if you would look down at your Bible and we'll read along. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
So the first gift that we encounter in this passage is that we are chosen, that Christians are chosen by our Heavenly Father. Uh, There is probably no other gift in the history of the church that has caused more distrust and disunity and disagreement and hurt and frustration as this one. People getting mad and hurt over the doctrine of election and predestination. So a doctrine is something we believe. We believe in election that's being chosen by God, this doctrine of predestination that we're going to get into a little bit more. I've been reading uh, George Whitfield's biography as uh, part of the Akinge program. He was a very famous preacher who lived uh, during the Great Awakening, uh, which was in the, the 1740s. So I'm sure many of you are around and you're thinking, this is just a great, relevant illustration for our lives, Jonathan. Uh, but he was famous. He preached on the Boston Common uh, to 25,000 people. So imagine that, like a, like a crusade almost, a revival. And it's really impressive because there was only 17,000 people that lived in Boston at the time. So we had pretty much the whole city plus uh, some more come out to the Boston Common. Uh, but George Whitfield, he believed in this doctrine of election. He was an Anglican, uh, but he, he believed in this doctrine of election. And he had a mentor figure. And his mentor figure was Charles Wesley. Maybe some of you are familiar with Charles and John Wesley, also very famous revival and uh, preachers at the beginning. Uh, But Charles Wesley uh, didn't agree with this. He didn't believe in the doctrine of election, didn't believe in the doctrine of predestination, and it created a rift between them. So here they had this great relationship, a good mentor, a good son-type figure, and it created a rift between them for years so that they were like publicly arguing and accusing each other and condemning each other in the newspapers <laughs> uh, and very publicly having this argument. I don't want that to happen here. <laughs> Anytime we talk about a difficult topic, a touchy subject, we can create rifts. We can create disunity, but I don't think we have to. When I was graduating seminary, like this is still a, a touchy subject, I interviewed with a church, and it seemed to go well, and they asked you what you believe about things like this, and a couple months later, I, I followed up with them, and they said, yeah, we're interested in you, but you know, you'd have to agree never to talk about election, never to talk about uh, you know, what you believe about that. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's interesting, Right. This is something we encounter in the Bible, but it's just to kind of say this is something that can divide. And so I want us to agree on two things, whether, you know, during this sermon, but anytime we talk about stuff like this, the first thing is that the church should be a safe space to talk about difficult things. (laughs) The church should be a safe space to talk about difficult things like election, predestination, any sort of theology, anything that you're wrestling with. Like, we're going to have this uh, discipleship class on Thursday nights talking about uh, kind of questions around the LGBT community and what the Bible teaches on that topic. We don't want to be afraid to talk about something as long as we're talking about it together and, and through the lens of the Bible. And then the second thing is that whether or not you agree with me uh, or hold my position, uh, let's just try to understand what the Bible says. Let's see what God's Word says, and we can kind of challenge each each other. So what does the Bible say? We are chosen by the Father, and we are chosen before the creation of the world. 
And we see this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, as I think about getting chosen for something, maybe some of you kind of go back to your days where you do sports, right? Where you're chosen for a team. Who are those people that always get chosen first for a team? <laughs> They're the athletes, right? The, the, the strong, I saw some head shaking. There are some, the strongest, the best, the brightest, right? Maybe, maybe you're a part of mathletes, you know, and the most intelligent, you know, the, the quickest calculators. But we encounter something in here in the book of Ephesians that tells us God doesn't choose the ones he loves that way. Have you ever played sports with like, your mom or your dad or like an aunt or uncle being the team captain or a boyfriend or girlfriend, they choose you. <laughs> Whether or not you're a good athlete, they're like, oh, I want that person to be on my team. It's because they love you. So they want you to be a part of their team, to, to play with them. And that's, that's the kind of love that we encounter here with God before we were ever created, before you ever did anything good, before you ever did anything bad, before you were ever in the picture, before, before the very first speck of dust. God said, I love you. I choose you. That means that God chose me like, before I did anything good, before I was worth it. This is an act of grace. This is a gift. God to say, I love you. Grace is a gift. And maybe some of you who know your theology know there are two different camps that kind of debate about this. There's the Calvinists, and there's the Arminians. And I don't know where each of you stands. Maybe you don't stand anywhere, and you're just like, oh, this is interesting. Well, they hold different understandings and perspectives on the doctrine of election and predestination. I think this is probably an oversimplification, but I, I think it's accurate, is that maybe a Calvinist would say, I think a Calvinist would say, God elects or chooses individuals for salvation. So if you believe in Christ, God has chosen you. While Arminians would say that God chooses a group God, God chooses a group of people, uh, kind of you're saved corporately instead of individually. Uh, I'm just adapting an example I've heard, but Calvinists would choose, so if like there's a line of people, and this, this line of people, they are getting on a bus. Calvinists would say, God chose those individuals. He like, gave them each tickets, the ones that are even getting in line. Arminians might say, God chose everyone on the bus. So if you get on the bus, God chose you. So there's a little bit of a, a difference there, the difference between saving a group and saving an individual. And I want us to look at the text. What does Paul say? Well, Paul seems to agree that God does save a group of people. Notice what he says to the church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says in verse 3, he talks about God who blesses us. Look at all the plurals. Verse 4, he chose us. Verse 5, he predestined us. Verse 6, grace, which he has freely given us. 7, we have redemption. Verse 8, he lavished on us. Verse 9, made known to us. Verse 11, we 
were also chosen. So Paul here seems to be saying that God has chosen his people, the big C church, the kind of the universal church, all believers from all times and places, that, that big bus. <laughs> and it got me thinking, well, what is the bus? Well, the bus is Christ. Notice how many times our passage says, in him. So it talks about all the believers being saved in Christ. So they're in the bus. They're in Christ. In him or in Christ. He, cho- he chose us in him, verse 4. In him we have redemption, verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11. Now, apparently one commentary I read said that in him or in Christ or a variation thereof appears 11 different times in our passage. And I searched and I searched and I could only count 10. So if you could let me know where that 11th one is, I would like to know. But the point is clear. We are in Christ. God chooses those of us who are in Christ. But I think it's fair to say, yes, election, God choosing is a corporate activity, but I also think it's individual. (laughs) I think we also see that in the scripture. I think we see both. Notice in verse 12, Paul says, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. So he takes this like plural statement, but then he says an individual statement. We who hoped in Christ. Those of us who had hope, who had faith in Jesus. So Paul is clarifying the we. Well, a we, a group, is just a bunch of individuals. This seems kind of obvious. Another way that we recognize God choosing individual people before time began is through the theme of adoption. Do you adopt like a whole group of people? I I haven't heard of that. You adopt individuals. Even if you adopt siblings, it's still a unique relationship that you are forming with each one of them. You adopt individuals. So the Father chose us before the creation of the world, and we are destined for something. We are destined for adoption through Christ. Verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So God hasn't just chosen us because it feels good. God hasn't chosen you because you are good. We already talked about that. God has chosen you for a destiny. We believe in destiny here at Cornerstone. And because it was set a long time ago, we call it predestined. We are predestined for adoption, for sonship. It means we're we're selected to be a son or a daughter of the king. Now, in their culture, sons were the ones that normally received the inheritance. So if you were a daughter, you know, it was hard for you. It was challenging. Or you received your inheritance by getting married and being a part of someone else's inheritance. And so Paul is not making a gendered statement here. He's making a statement about rights. All of us, no matter we're man or woman, all of us who know Jesus Christ get to become sons, have become sons. We share in Christ's inheritance. Think about that for a moment. We share in the inheritance of Christ Jesus. Now, Christ Jesus is the firstborn, and his inheritance is 
is twice as big as everyone else is. But Christ, what, what sort of things does Christ get? He gets glory. He gets, he gets power. He gets praise. He gets authority. He gets uh, to, to rule and reign forever. And these are the kind of things that we as Christians share in. We get to share in the inheritance. It's like uh, maybe some of you have written wills or uh, kind of said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, put in a will in place or... Uh, yeah, I guess that's the only thing you would call it, last will and testimony. And what do you do? You say, I, I want to give my children my stuff, right? I want to give them my house. I want to give them my, my property so that when you pass, well, they get something. They receive something. They receive assets or something else. Now, what if you said, okay, well, we also really like Tommy. Tommy's not one of our children, but we really like him, so we're going to write Tommy into the will. So Tommy gets part of our property, too. Well, that would be great for Tommy, wouldn't it? But it wouldn't be as happy for your children unless you had all the property in the universe. (laughs) And you had everything. And you could share abundantly what you own. That's what we encounter in Jesus. Our names are written into the will. Our names are written into the inheritance. We get to share as well. I watched a documentary, this is a couple of years ago, but it was about a really rich family. And they had adopted a girl. I think she was related to them in some way. But she came from destitution, poverty, and then she was welcomed into a really wealthy family. So she knew what it was like to be poor and also to be rich. That's kind of like our experience. Apart from Christ, apart from that sonship, we're spiritually impoverished. We're poor. But, but when we're adopted, when we, when we recognize, wow, Jesus, you are God. I want to repent of my sins and be welcomed into the family. It's, being, it's like being welcomed into the, the richest, most kindest, loving, and gentlest, and perfect family there ever was that cares completely about you. That's what it's like. I was trying to think of a, a way to describe this because it's, it's hard to communicate this idea of adoption, of what it, what it means. And so I just kind of thought of my own family. Monica and I recently got our, our tickets home for Christmas to the home state of Colorado. And I wanted to show you just a big family picture. So this is a picture we took in 2016 with all my nieces and nephews and uh, most of my, my siblings. You can see my parents and my, uh, my brothers and their wives. I think there's something like... 11 or 12 nieces and nephews, a lot. And I'm so excited to introduce Elijah to them. But when I look at this picture, this is one of my favorite pictures, have it up around the place. It, it creates like a sense of longing, a sense of family, a sense of wanting to be together and sit around the table. And maybe you, when you look at your pictures at home, you have a similar sense of longing, of family. Well, being adopted, being chosen and predestined is the guarantee that you will be home for the holidays. (laughs) That you will spend eternity with Christ, your your older brother, and you will spend eternity with a heavenly father that loves you perfectly. And you will spend eternity with a diverse bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe some of you don't have a picture like this. Maybe some of you don't come from... uh, uh, kind of a family event. Maybe you have friends 
You really enjoy spending time with them. Well, whatever that, that is, that feeling, that friendship, that family, that's just a glimpse, that's just a taste of what it means to be adopted for sonship with Christ Jesus. That God has chosen you. And it's just a gift. It's a gift of grace. So the first gift of grace is that the Father chose us before the creation of the world. And if you have questions about this and you want to come talk to me afterwards, please do. Because it's a challenging doctrine. I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. But we're going to continue to move through the passage. So verses 7 through 10 tell us the second gift. The second gift is this, that we are redeemed by the Son. Let's read verses 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in the heaven and on earth under Christ. Uh, so... Koken's book, he, he made this connection uh, between redemption through his blood and the Passover. So maybe some of you are, are very familiar with the, the story of the Bible. Maybe you've just watched The Prince of Egypt. So you're kind of thinking about that. Well, you can pull that into your mind. Uh, well, back in the Old Testament, we encounter the book of Exodus. And the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, what happened to them? They got enslaved. They were in, in slavery and uh, bondage in Egypt for about 400 years, right? And then God raises up a leader, Moses. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments. Moses leads the people out of bondage, out of, of captivity. But at first, Pharaoh won't let them go. Pharaoh's like, no, I will not let these people go. And so what does God do? He sends plagues. Plagues turn the Nile to blood, frogs, gnats. And, and then at the end, the very last plague is the plague of the firstborn, the firstborn son dying. And it's not just Israel that will be, it's not just Egypt. Anyone could be affected by this. Israelite, animal. And yet God provides a way of escape. He says, take the Passover lamb, take this lamb, a, a perfect lamb, an a un, unblemished lamb, and sacrifice it. Kill it. And wipe its blood on the doorposts of your home. And then you're going to eat that lamb. And, and when, when my angel of death comes, when I come, I will pass over your home. And I will Take the firstborn of any home that does not have the blood on the, the door frame of the house. And what do we see happening? Well, we see just that happening. The, 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 the Egyptians perish, many of them do, and the, the Israelites go free. They're led out of captivity to the promised land. And when Paul uses this language that we have been redeemed by the blood, he's making reference back to that. See, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who came and shed his blood on, on two pieces of wood that look very much like a door frame. He was the perfect sacrifice because you can imagine that a lamb, no matter how many lambs you kill, like a, a, a lamb is not the same as a human being, right? And Israel, Israel continued this sacrificial system 
to kind of atone for their sins. But, but in reality, little sheep can't make up for human sin. <laughs> and so God had to send the perfect lamb, his son, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross so that God could pass over us, so that God could redeem us by Christ's blood. This is a pretty interesting theology. This is a, this is a fascinating, life-changing, world-changing gift that God has given us through the blood of his son, Jesus. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And God has big plans for the blood of Jesus. <laughs> See, the, the blood of Jesus, it changes our lives. It, it, it saves us from our sin. But verse 10, notice what verse 10 says. Some think this is like kind of the big summary verse for all of Ephesians. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God uses the blood of Christ to transform people, churches, the big church, little churches like Cornerstone, to, to reconcile enemies to heal broken family relationships, to, to unite neighborhoods and to, to, to bring neighbors into communion through Christ. God is gonna bring all things, even creation. Creation right now is fallen. Creation isn't as it's supposed to be and God's gonna use Christ Jesus, gonna bring everything under him and everything, even Calvinists and Arminians <laughs> are gonna be united through Christ, by the blood of Jesus. That's a gift. That's a, that's a world-changing gift. That's grace. So we, all who know Christ, are redeemed by the Son. And here's the third gift, that we are sealed by the Spirit. I want to look at verses 11 through 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So there's a call in here. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a call on each one of us sitting here tonight, a call to believe the gospel. You believed. Well, if you want to receive these gifts, you gotta believe. <laughs> you gotta believe in Jesus, that you got to believe in these gifts that we really are chosen by the Father. We're redeemed by the Son. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. Believe that Jesus came and that Jesus' blood can save you. And then all these gifts become yours. It's like, it's like finding these things out. It's not like, oh, God suddenly gives these gifts to us. It's like, have you ever had one of those moments where you like look in your closet and you're like, oh, I forgot to bring this gift out for Christmas Day. <laughs> you find a gift like six months later. Maybe that's never happened to any of you. I'm pretty sure that's happened to at least some of my parents. 
We're discovering these gifts, these things that have been for us and, 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 and a gift to us from long ago. And if you're chosen by God and if you're redeemed by the Son, you are sealed by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt by God himself. God comes and makes his presence known in you. He puts his stamp on you like a seal. He marks you as his own. Something about you begins to change. You begin to look different. Because Jesus is in you. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and and making you into a completely new person. Convicting you of your sins and leading you into holiness and and a a desire to, to love God and to love your neighbor. Maybe some of you are afraid. You hear about this doctrine of election, this doctrine of predestination. You think, am I elect? (laughs) God doesn't invite us to ask that question. (laughs) Just says, take confidence. Trust in me. If you know Jesus, you are one of the elect. It's not up to us to decide who around us is elect and predestined. Oh, that person's no good. (laughs) They're not going to heaven. Well, you know, you're just as bad as them (laughs) because of sin. Every person that comes to Christ, it's a gift. It's a gift of grace. And God can give this gift to anyone he wants. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting here tonight and you haven't received these gifts, I want to invite you Come to Jesus. Come receive your gifts. Come rest in the comfort of knowing that you're chosen, that you're redeemed, and that you're sealed. So the first gift is that we are chosen by the Father. The second is that we are redeemed by the Son. And the third is that we are sealed by the Spirit. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. This is my big idea. It's the title of the the sermon as well. But grace is a gift. It's like a three-part gift. It's a great gift. One year uh, for Christmas, uh, one of my brothers, I have three older brothers, he visited his girlfriend's house uh, for Christmas. Uh, And he gave her like a really big Christmas gift. So I wasn't there for this. This is how I hear the story went. He gave her a really big Christmas gift. She opened up that gift, and inside it, was another Christmas gift. She opened up that one, and inside that was another Christmas gift. You know, ah, this is funny. Uh, and it kept, like, getting smaller, and she just kept unwrapping it and wrapping it, wondering what could possibly be at the center of this, this gift. And then uh, she didn't notice. I guess my, my brother got down on one knee, and, and finally at the bottom of the gift was the ring, and he proposed. Well, grace is a little bit like that. Grace is like a gift within a gift within a gift. But you don't just find like air in one layer. You find being chosen by the Father, being loved by the Father, being invited to be a part of the family, being chosen for the team, not because you're a good person, but because he's a great God. And in the next layer, you find the, the blood of Jesus. I would not want to open up a Christmas gift and find the blood of Jesus. <laughs> but that's what we encounter in our scripture, which we find the blood of Jesus. And that blood has the power to give you life. And if you don't know the blood of Jesus, you need that transfusion. You need the blood. Because it's life-giving blood. And that final package... 
We find the Holy Spirit. We find the Holy Spirit that wants to live inside of you and change your life and to change this world. To change your relationship with those around you, with your, change your relationship first with God and then those around you. It's a gift within a gift within a gift. That's what grace is. It's kind of like a, a sparkly diamond that we get at the end. It's multifaceted and it's beautiful. That's what grace is. Grace is a gift. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for this gift, this many-sided, shining gift. Help us to receive it, and if we're wrestling with aspects of it, help us to be honest about that. Most importantly, help us to know you, to receive this gift. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.